0: everyone. Welcome to Captain Hunter's podcast, the podcast that is dedicated towards bridging the divide between the police and the communities that they serve. Recently in the state of Connecticut where they're going through some uh, police reform bills, accountability bills that are being uh, debated on. um, uh, Just a few days ago as I record this, there was a vote in our uh, Senate, in our our, uh, House, and uh, it was passed, the police accountability bill, and now it's going before the Senate Um, And so I wanted to have a discussion. I had a discussion if you paid attention or at least if you watched that uh, video I did with uh, Elliot Spector. I have another attorney for us today that is uh, Dave Yale. He's a retired police sergeant from my city, the city of Waterbury. He went to law school, became an attorney. Um, And so now uh, after his retirement, even while he was working, he became an attorney. So I reached out to him and I want to thank him and I want to thank also Elliot Spector for coming on the podcast. So we're going to talk to them. Uh, Well, I talked to Elliot Spector already. I'm going to talk to Dave Yale today and get his uh, thoughts on the proposed bill. Um, So I'm going to let Dave introduce himself. I'm sitting in the car uh, about to go inside, and we're going to do this interview. Really looking forward to it. Dave's a good man. And uh, so he's going to give us his opinion about this bill and whether there is a need for it, right? And we're struggling with, the community is struggling with changes that they want to see within law enforcement. And so uh, Dave Yale is gonna shed his light and give his opinion on you know what needs to happen or what is happening and everything like that. So um, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here is the interview with retired sergeant and attorney at law, Dave Yale. Please make sure that you rate, subscribe and share these episodes. All right, so I'm here with uh, a good friend of mine, Retired Sergeant Dave Yale, current attorney at law, Esquire. What do you guys call yourself? Attorney at law, Esquire, all the... (laughs) Attorney,
1: counsel at law, there's all different names. It doesn't matter. Okay. (laughs) All right. So... my old profession. Police officer, cop, none of the the terminology (laughs) is that important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So... um, I uh, thank you for coming on Captain Hunter's podcast. Really been looking forward to the conversation. Uh, missed you on the job. Um, really a, a mentor of mine. And before we get going here, uh, just kind of introduce yourself and uh, we'll take it from there.
1: Sure. Uh, David Yale, um, born outside of Boston, but grew up in Woodbury, Connecticut, the quintessential small New England town. Um, In high school, I saw at a career day, a movie done by the Connecticut State police on police work. And I decided to be, I was going to be a police officer for some reason. Nobody else in my family was. I didn't even know any police officers. Uh, Went to college, got a degree in criminal justice. Um, That was 1983. I worked a couple years in a food warehouse, picking up boxes while I took the police tests at some different towns. And I eventually got hired by the Waterbury Police Department in 1986. So you have a. Middle class kid who's never really dealt with an urban environment at all. To um, be quite honest, I don't think I talked to a black person until I was 11 years old. Wow. Growing up in Woodbury, there were no black families when I was in grade school. I was in middle school before we had our first black students in the school system. Wow. Um, and here I am, police officer in Waterbury. <laughs> <laughs> so it, w- it was an adjustment to say the least. Okay. Very good. Uh, very then good. in, uh, I should, in The 90s, I went to law school, 93 through 97, passed the bar in 1997, and I did both police work and law until 2005, um, at which time I had had my 20 years in in Waterbury, and I retired and got my pension. It was a good time to go because of the financial condition of the city and everything that was going on with uh, the the working in Waterbury got to be interesting. as You will know, <laughs> as
0: I will know. Uh, so that's that's really interesting, and we I wanted to talk to you about um, uh, the the proposed bill that's going on, or that is a vote that as we record this, I, I assume sometime today. In the state of Connecticut, but before we get to that, I want to kind of explore your background a little bit. <laughs> so, so uh, we'll start off with uh, I, I did not know you grew up in Woodbury, yep. and so there's been a lot of talk, and I talked about this in my show. Um, I had a few, a couple of uh, judges that came on, and they talked about the need for um, anytime any uh, person such as yourself who mm-hmm. grew up in a majority white community would then work in the black community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they suggested training. They suggested something along the ways of of helping them to become acclimated into the into the environment how was that working i mean you you didn't see or talk to a black person until you were 11. Mm a few years later 21 or whatever your age you grew into the academy and then became police officer dealing with black people did you feel any uh discomfort uh dealing with the minority communities whether it be black or hispanic or, or whatever
1: I don't know if it was discomfort as much as um a lot of it was alien. I mean, it, it's a, a different culture. Um you have to get used to it. Um I think I you know, there's a lot of talk today about implicit bias and types of things. I don't think I was actively prejudiced because I grew up I didn't have anybody to be prejudiced against. It just wasn't an issue one way or the other. Mm. Um however, because I didn't know what was normal so to speak um it it took a while to get used to what was what and in 1986 you still had some of the dinosaur police officers Mm -hmm. that um had questionable thoughts about (laughs) uh relations with the community and of course you know and, and they would say things and and i remember thinking that guy's an idiot um so i wasn't part of that culture but uh and and Well, as as you well know, police work opens your eyes about not making judgments based on external factors because you could go into a house on the second floor and it'd be clean and there'd be the people were polite and the kids were polite and then you go to the third floor to the neighbor's house where they're having a problem and the place smells and it's a mess and the kids are dirty and it had nothing to do with anything but who they were individually mm. so I, I think i learned that lesson that you have to judge people based on who they are as opposed to to where they come from
0: now, that, listen that's very well said that's very well said and i i in my few years or when i first came on i'm like there's no way that people can be prejudiced and obviously as a black male you know i knew that this was out there but as you mentioned, you go to one person's house, and it didn't matter the race of the person, you could see you know cleanliness or how they behaved and how they treated you, and you go to the, another person's house <laughs> and then you see this, right? And so But
1: well, we uh, used to call job security what we saw in that <laughs> other house, isn't it?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so so you can definitely see that kind of thing. And it was always flooring to me how people could could have this mindset that all one whatever. Group of people were were this way, and it just it, it just isn't that way. So I appreciate you saying that and I appreciate uh, t- to learn that about you. You and I uh, we worked together numerous times, and we had one infamous night.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs>
0: we had one infamous night, and I'll, I'll start it off with uh, I don't know which one was first. I, th- I th- actually I think
1: this one was the, first. The domestic was first. The domestic. That was daylight. It was light out, and the other incident was at night.
0: Okay, but we worked midnight, so I thought that was. I well, it that, had gotten dark. Okay. okay. Oh, okay. 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 Wait, no, I thought that was the last one in the no, evening. That was that was the that dawn. Was,
1: that was second shift. I never worked third shift as a patrolman.
0: Oh, okay. So what? Is, I was an X-ray. Was I? X-ray car. I do not know what that.
1: Was. I think we were together in a two-man car.
0: I thought we were too. So and what? Yeah, you maybe you were working overtime. I mean, maybe I was working overtime. Okay. <laughs> so we had the domestic, and we had this huge, huge guy. and he he was definitely on something huge black guy right so we get to the house and he's he's not cooperating he's roughing up and And and
1: puffing up and he was just out of prison right and he had been pumping iron the whole Uh, time he was in prison and he had what commonly people call prison muscles he came out really cut looking like a bodybuilder right (laughs) and it was and he was not cooperating and i
0: don't know i think the both of us between us we could have crapped our pants like 12 times he had
1: had come he was living with his girlfriend and he ripped all the phone wires out of the wall Ah, so we had a situation with criminal mischief and it was he made threats so we had domestic violence so we had a mandatory arrest at that point because that's what the law says it says you shall make the arrest And I remember thinking we were both going to get whooped by this guy. There was no way in hell the two of us would be able to. And he was up on the balls of his feet. Yeah. And he made fists. (laughs) And the veins were sticking out in his head. Right. Every indication of somebody that was going to fight the police. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then. (laughs) For whatever reason, he just turned into a pussycat. (laughs) He just exhaled, unclenched his fist and got down on those regular feet and I remember thinking I am getting handcuffs on this guy so fast I am not gonna give him a chance to change his mind."
0: that was yeah that was that was that was something that was something and so from there you know a few hours later we go to a report of some guy burglarizing or getting his house burglarized Mm -hmm. he calls
1: 911 Mm -hmm. we respond Yep. And what does this fool do? <laughs> well, you got to remember, we, we did the smart thing for police officers. We stopped around the corner. We, right. we didn't come in with lights and siren or the engine making a lot of noise. We we snuck in stealth mode. And then we came in, like, through the side yard because he had he reported somebody was trying to push the air conditioner. Push the, the air conditioner. Floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we came in, like, we're thinking, we're sneaky. We're going to catch this burglar. <laughs> <laughs> and this
0: fool comes outside with a gun in his hand, and you couldn't see it
1: No, because no. he's pointing it,
0: was, it at you. That yeah, was
1: all in silhouette. There was a light behind him, and I just saw this black shape of this guy, and I think he was Italian. Yeah, he recall. was Italian or something, yeah. Albanian or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he was excited. He was definitely, he was definitely excited.
0: <laughs> so he was going to catch the guy after he calls 911, and he comes outside with his gun in his hand. So I see him. I got the profile of the guy. I, see, I can see his hand sticking out with the gun in his hand. And I yell, gun, and just as I draw it up, he says, whoa, 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 whoa. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, dude, (laughs) you almost got shot. Yeah, yeah.
1: Almost. And it turned out he had a little, I think it was a Beretta 21A. He had some little small handgun, as I recall, Mm -hmm. and he did not have a bullet in the chamber. If he had pulled the trigger, it just would have gone click, click, click. But you know, as a police officer, there's no way you can know whether that gun has a bullet in the chamber or not. You're absolutely pointing it at a police officer. Absolutely. It could have gone a whole different way very that quickly. That could have gone, that could have gone
0: left really, 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 really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, So, those were two, that was one night that I'll never forget, (laughs) and um, especially with the gun incident, you know, just how quickly things can turn. We go from trying to catch this burglar, right? We think it's a simple burglar trying to push the air conditioner in. Okay, we're going to catch this guy, Mm -hmm. and then the next thing you know, this guy runs outside with a gun, and Mm -hmm. you didn't see it, so I'm thinking, I got to defend you. Yeah. And so yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm drawn down on this guy. And I, 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 it was, my gun was out of my holster. I'm yelling out gun. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then he puts it up, put it, puts it down on the ground. And I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, mm-hmm. what are you doing? And I remember it took me a long time to calm down. My adre- <laughs> my adrenaline was through the roof. I'm like, you're, I was so mad at that guy. Your adrenaline. I just a to get the gun pointed at me and didn't even know it.
1: It's like, what the hell is Larry? What, what's? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so, so this this is, I mean, what's going on in the country in today's time is they want, they being the community, want some changes, right, mm-hmm. with how we police. I think um, that's obvious. Yeah, yeah, it's just a little bit obvious. Give, give me your thoughts about what's going on as a, as a law enforcement officer, oh. as, a, as, a, uh, as, a, as an attorney now. Give me your thoughts about what's going on. I
1: mean, there, there's so much to the current situation. And I personally what what i've been doing a lot of is too much of like on weekends i watch facebook live streams Mm. because they're not being interpreted they're not being edited it's what's going on Mm. and i've watched some of the demonstrations Uh, some of them are really pretty boring the speakers aren't that great um other speakers are very uh passionate and and Entertaining to an extent. You know, I don't want to make it sound like it's just a TV show or something, but they, they hold your attention. Um, I don't always agree with what people say from either side. Mm. Um, it was It's pretty interesting, like the uh, protests in um, Louisville last weekend, mm. where you had the three percenter militia, which was the white militia, and then you had the black militia. Mm. And it was very interesting because one of the live streams started out with the three percenters and they came out and it's all white people there's no black people however they kept saying we're not here for any one group we're here to keep the peace and when they got out there some black Lives matters protesters started chanting and they engaged them and they said we're, we're not against you you know we, we we agree that there's a real problem here that needs to be addressed and they actually got talking and were very friendly um But when you read the news accounts later it was the alt-right wing three percenters that were there to confront the black militia and in fact nobody confronted anybody in the militia side there were some crazy people every one of these movements whether it be conservative or liberal or or whatever point of view there's some crazy people that go to those demonstrations because they're crazy it's not because of the issues They, they may really feel about the issue I don't know what's in their head, but their, their conduct is, is not advancing their point of view, I guess you would say. Mm. So, um, as a matter of fact, there was a gentleman who started yelling, all lives matter, blue lives matter, that was near the three percenters, and they asked the police to get them away because they didn't want that point of view. Now, there's other militias that are very alt-right or, or white supremacist. It just shows that it's not as simple as the it's being shown on the media. That you have to do a little more research into these things, and it's it's left me puzzled and still trying to figure out a lot of it. To be quite honest, yeah,
0: yeah, yes. Yeah. So <clears throat> you have a daughter; she's twenty one. Yep. Does she have any thoughts about what's
1: going on? Uh, she says I shouldn't be doing this podcast because somebody <laughs> is going to see it and come and hate it and come and hurt me. So, really. Yep. That, that's, oh, wow. that's how she sees some of this stuff going on. She's obviously uh, typically much more liberal than I am. Mm. Um, I'm 59, headed towards 60 next spring, and I can't keep up with some of the polite ways to address people <laughs> in different <laughs> situations. I'll be honest, I, I, I don't... I don't really care what people want to do in their private lives if they're not hurting anybody else right, right it's their business but you know what and she gets mad at me every time i say this i say i will not stand in front of your parade and try to stop it but don't ask me to march in it because i'm too tired yeah. Um, so yeah um but she is um yeah, she, she's good because she will listen to different things and she'll think, crit- I, I think I've given that to her where she'll look at stuff and think critically about it in question. Doesn't mean she's going to change her mind about things, but it means that she's not going to accept things blindly either. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about that.
0: Yeah, that's, that's good. That's Well, that's good that she's thinking critically and thinking for herself. And you're you're absolutely right. I can't keep up with what's going on either. Anytime I send someone an email now, they got... How they want to be introduced? He and them, and he, really, he, he and she, he and them, or she and they, or I'm like, this is this is you know amongst the many titles that people put in their mm-hmm. emails as far as uh, uh, you know Lawrence Hunter uh, MS mm-hmm. uh, work at such and such now you got to put the pronouns you want to be referred to as and this is what's going on in almost every single email I
1: send. To I, someone. I don't have the mental capacity. To yeah. keep up with it's it's not an intent to be less than polite it's just it's exhausting it's exhausting yeah, yeah. you're yeah. absolutely right trying to
0: keep up with all that you know and you don't want to offend anyone and you don't mm-hmm. uh, but to have to remember all that why can't if you look like or present as a guy yeah. why can't i just call you why can't i just call I mean, you sir in my,
1: <laughs> in my family between my um immediate family and my nephews and nieces and such i have Uh, adopted people that are biracial. I have uh, an adopted brother who is, uh, appears uh, to be dark-skinned Hispanic, although he doesn't speak a lick of Hispanic. (laughs) Uh, I have gay people. I mean, I love them all. They're all great people. Um, Whatever flaws they might have and whatever challenges they might have in life, they're great people. And they are who they are. I have no problems with it. But just, I just can't keep up with all the the yeah. formalities, I guess you'd say. I,
0: I think that for someone who grew up in a mostly um, you know isolated community, that you become very open minded and very accepting to you know not only the job that you went into, but to mm-hmm. the family that you you know have accepted as yours, you know, right. and see people for what they are—individuals who have flaws and some of them are really great people and some of them are really Mm -hmm. jerks so you don't want to come to Christmas.
1: (laughs) You know? And and, you know, there are some instances I think of where I made a mistake or I was wrong or or I made an assumption that I shouldn't have made. Um, I think that's inevitable. Mm -hmm. I just tried to be conscious that it can happen and and to try to make sure I didn't do it. I'm far from perfect. I'm I'm sure that there's people that could tell you some stories where I was less than perfect. Mm -hmm. But I've tried.
0: And that's all we can ask. We're all you know, trying to get there. Wherever there is, we're all trying to get there. So Connecticut is uh, dealing with what the rest of the country is dealing with as far as mm-hmm. trying to establish new laws, trying to uh, reform the police, for lack of a better word. I guess the, the new bill that is being presented, it's called the accountability bill, accountability mm-hmm. bill, uh, presented to the House, which passed. A lot of people were surprised at that. They've had a couple of rallies over the weekend. Uh, they being the police have had some, you know, pro police groups or civilians or whatever have had some rallies. I didn't go to any of them because <sighs> crowds and me just don't go together all the time, <laughs> and so I didn't go to any of them. Um, so I, I'd like to just kind of talk to you about about your thoughts about the bill okay. and tell us what you know what, what what's good in it, what's bad in it. Is any of this necessary? Uh, is Connecticut doing such a stellar job with? policing their police that we don't need to do anything
1: um all right Um, and i've been thinking about this a lot like i explained in some emails i've been trying to do my homework for this podcast so i've looked at a lot of things and i think that i need to say that first of all these are my personal opinions Uh Um, i work here at hassett and george Um, i do a lot of different law uh, not just uh, i defend police officers and municipalities that are being sued that's one of the things i do Um, so of course that affects my viewpoint um, I also do real estate, we do some, I do some criminal defense some family law, you know, we, we do the gamut of things that attorneys do and I work on a lot of these different cases. But when I talk here, it is my personal opinions. If I'm defending a police officer, my job is to be 110% for that officer regardless. It's just like if you have a, an attorney with a criminal client, you are 110% for that client regardless of what the facts are. That's just the way it works. Um, there's certain cases here in Connecticut that I've been personally involved with defending the officers and I can't go into a lot of details on that because of uh, the position I'm in. So, first of all, like I said, these are my personal opinions and I'll talk about what I can if you have a question. Um, the other thing from my personal perspective, and I think I alluded to this in something uh, in our conversations, there, there's a lot of statistics out there about police and public interactions. but. I think one thing that impressed me on one of your podcasts, you had the two Alabama judges, the two black female judges from Alabama, mm-hmm. and they were talking about how they felt and how they had to worry, they felt they had to worry about doing things that white people probably wouldn't have to worry about. And I've heard stories of how black people feel the need to talk to their children about what they should do and how they should act if they have an interaction with the police. Mm-hmm. So. We can sit here and argue all day about data, and there's arguments to be made whether or not it's really a danger. But I think that the fact that people I know have that fear as a black person in this country, that fear is real. And we have to think about why do they feel that way and what we do to fix it. Now, the police reform bill has been held up as a way to fix that. I don't know if it is. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the way it's passed, which is very different than the proposed bill. Um, apparently, the way the Connecticut legislature works is the bill that passed was handed out to the legislatures at that day, and they voted on it that night. And it was different than anything that had come up before. Us. And the general public, I don't think, had an opportunity to look at the actual proposed bill at all. I, I don't know how that works. Um, so. Having said that, we we can talk about the different things that are in the bill. I have yeah. I have some notes.
0: Well, well let, let's start <laughs> off with what you said. So I, I liked how you kind of brought that up. About, about I, I brought up the fact that um, people want reform and change. Mm-hmm. Then you went into that certain communities feel the need to have the, have the talk with their with their kids. I'm obviously a black male. I've had to talk with my kids. I mean, most of, most of my talk con- mo- consisted of, hey, listen, tell them your dad's a cop. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so, so, but other people don't have that, have that luxury. Let, let me stop you a second.
1: Do the cars that your children drive have anything to indicate that you used to be a police officer, either a, a police association medallion or a thing? Thin I have thin one of the dallions,
0: but, medallions, but I have not put on my daughter's car and okay. I need to, and I need to do that.
1: <laughs> well, have you considered and this is something I ask because my car I have A thin blue line license plate frame. Okay. And I know a lot of people now putting negative connotations on the thin blue line. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, In my mind, it's a tribute to the officers that have given their lives protecting their community. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. There's nothing negative about it. I refuse to let people hijack it for some other purpose and to use it as a symbol against someone else because that's what I see it as. Right. But I had the conversation with my daughter. She borrows my car to be aware that you have this sticker on there and some people Conceivably, could react to it. Yeah, and I didn't know if that was a concern that you had thought about.
0: Um, not to that extent. My son is in the military, and they, on the military, they, before it, it, um, people in the military, you probably know that when you um, when they would uh, go for a, a plane ride, you know, get on the plane or mm-hmm. whatever, they would be in uniform, right? The, their military fatigues. Right. The military actually told them to stop doing that because really? they were being targeted. They didn't know that. Yeah, they were being they were being targeted in airports and, and, mm-hmm. and things like that. So I, I can certainly understand that duality of, of, of thought, you know, where people may be very pro-police and, and look at those symbols, the pack symbol or the um, or the thin blue line or whatever, and say, okay, this guy's a cop and everything's good, and or maybe you can get your car vandalized, you know, so. Mm-hmm. So I'm 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 constantly at war as to what's the best method going forward. But I mean, obviously, I told my kids to be very polite, respectful. Mm-hmm. I tell them now, you know, tell them your dad's a cop, you know, I would, mm-hmm. you know, or or retired, you know, whatever. Right. My dad was on a Bring it up somehow that your dad, <laughs> that your dad was 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 one of them. And your, one of my your dad's dad.
1: a retired cop. He's going to kill me when he finds exactly. out. Exactly. <laughs>
0: Say something. Um, and so, so, so this is a real. Con- I guess the point is, is that this is a real concern that people have. And I liked how you framed it as that. You know, we have to get to the root of why people feel this way. Um, we can look at the data and statistics and I read some some articles and you know, um, one by uh, this guy, Greg Lowry, I think his name is, he's a Brown uh, professor, University of Brown professor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he, he's saying that none of this stuff is, and a lot of people are saying none of this stuff is real Is being overhyped, you know, the, the 8, 9, 10 cases that are the major cases are being overblown and this pandemic epidemic of police brutality particularly targeted against african americans isn't real um but but regardless as you mentioned the perception is there Mm -hmm. what i mean i know that we don't want to get into heavy statistics (laughs) but but in your mind what what is is there any validity to to a person as myself or someone having the talk with their kids is there is that legitimate
1: i it's talk with my daughter but it's probably at a different level and with a different thought it's like if you're pulled over by the police turn on your overhead light keep your hands on the steering wheel let them come up to you roll down your window let them come up to you don't be moving around in the car don't try to get your registration just let the officer come up and talk to you and make it in explaining the environment because i walked up to i don't know how many cars over 20 years the the environment that puts the officer more at ease and lets him know that there's no obvious threat there um the other thing that your daughter would have even as a black female and my daughter as a white female is they're perceived as much less of a potential threat mm. um, I think it's young black males that that there's the idea that they are the ones that are going to be seen as the threat by the police officer um, I'll be honest when I was a cop there were plenty of white young males that i was worried about and felt very absolutely i mean (laughs) (laughs) statistically i have not done a deep dive on the statistics you can make statistics say anything you want you can how (laughs) you want to how you want to float them this way or the other what you really need to look at is police shootings that are unjustified and that requires a judgment value and a lot of these robber statistics think they don't go into that you need to look at the particular cases and say did the person have a weapon? Did the officer reasonably feel threatened by the person? Did the officer feel that their life was in danger? Um, and those kind of investigations are very hard to do. They're very subjective. And a lot of times, whether or not the officer acted appropriately, it depends on the spin that the person reporting the incident wants to put on it. Yeah. As opposed to trying to be objective. So I guess my final answer is, I don't know. Um, I, I haven't. It's it's too much work. I'm I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, and, and I think that that's the point. Now, I, when I talked to uh, uh, Elliot Spector, he he uh, and we and I read an, an article that you sent me by him.
1: Yeah. Which no, is really, I, I work with Elliot. We should let people know that we're in the same firm. Yeah. So. Oh, are you? I didn't know that. Oh yeah. was in the firm. His, he hired me in 2007. Oh, I thought he had his own. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. He's a, he's of counsel. They call it, which means he works through this firm, but he's. A little bit independent too. Okay. Okay.
0: Okay. So we had a conversation and some of the things that he wrote... Man, I lost my train of thought there. I'm sorry. sorry. (laughs) Oh, here's my train of thought. So the problem that I have and that many people are having is that when certain investigations happen, right, the officers are cleared. Mm -hmm. And that is the problem that people are having. Now, this bill attempts to address that because they want to have an independent body uh, address, investigate, mm-hmm. particularly shootings. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that an independent body, um, Connecticut's a small state, we could have probably, you know, 15 Cops or whatever from different municipalities come together, you know, d- directed by you know a couple of state attorneys, a couple of lawyers, and really have a, a body that really just goes out there and investigates not only shootings mm-hmm. but but really major serious allegations of, of police misconduct, mm-hmm. and that's what people want. That that's the transparency that people want, right? And, and that's you know, when you don't have that, and particularly let's let's look at the the case that's going on in, in Georgia, uh, the Ahmed Arbery case, right, mm-hmm. where you have a state's attorney writing crazy ass letters saying, saying, saying that, that, that the, that, uh, you know, there's nothing to see here, you know, just keep moving, on, move on, nothing to see here, no crime here. Right. And then, um, uh, same. So this is a state's attorney's problem. Uh, in Minnesota, you had, uh, the, the, um, the the medical examiner essentially saying same thing that they said in the Eric Garner case was that this guy was uh, was, was dying of a heart attack, <laughs> and then you have an independent autopsy, mm-hmm. right, uh, saying no, it was act- it was act- absolutely the knee on his neck that, that killed him. Right.
1: So but, but let's stop and
0: hit a few of those. Phrases. Okay, okay.
1: <laughs> and I'm not saying you're right or wrong. Okay. I'm pointing areas that you need to look at. To determine if you're right or wrong okay. okay first of all the phrase independent autopsy uh, right, my understanding right. <laughs> is that was paid by the family right, arranged right. by an attorney who wants to sue and make money off this exa- case exactly he's not independent at all right okay he's he's and the autopsy by the state i don't know how independent they are there maybe they shift everything to try to protect the state and the police i don't know right um i'm, I'm gonna throw a wild card at you and okay. it's actually a good topic for another podcast um have you heard of excited delirium? I have, yes. Yes. Um, I, I think that that's something that needs to be explored, and I, I would encourage you to find somebody that can talk about that to be on your podcast, because I don't know whether it applies to this, just for, for the people that might be listening. It's not recognized by every medical examiner out there but it's a situation that seems that it might occur where people are intoxicated Um, a lot of times people have mental health issues Mm -hmm. they get very excited they're fighting with the police there's a lot of physical exertion they're restrained and um, they die and it's not from the restraint per se it's the situation that goes on now i don't know enough to even say whether it's a consideration in any of these cases mm. i'm saying that something has to be looked at right so that we can make an informed decision um you can't just spin a situation because you like the viewpoint one way or the other left or right you have to go to the facts and as what you're saying if you have an independent investigator that comes in that might be a way that we can allay some of these fears if they truly feel that it's an independent investigation. Absolutely. Um, Now, presently in Connecticut, when you have a police fatality like this, they bring in a state's attorney from an area other than the area where it happened. So they have attempted in the present system to get some neutrality. Uh, Not theoretically, not a state's attorney that works with the officers involved. Personally, if the the people of connecticut and the legislature want an an inspector general for this i personally don't see the problem Um, as long as they actually go after the facts right the other side of that is if they actually get the facts and the facts are not what you like for either side that doesn't mean you can sit there and say it's a bad investigation And that's where I see the problem is where they start coming out with some decisions and people don't like the decisions because they don't fit their viewpoint one way or the other. And they start yelling that this inspector general's office is not doing an independent investigation.
0: Yeah. So, you know, and I agree with that. I absolutely agree. Um, So, again, I mean, we... we, (laughs) I hate to always brag about Connecticut and Waterbury, <laughs> but we seem to be, no, we really seem yeah. to be uh, uh, doing what the public wants. So, in respect to this bill, they put it, and I want to put it into the law, but we're kind of already doing <laughs> doing that to a certain degree. Yeah,
1: to, they, they want to make it even more so. And like I said, personally, I, I don't see the problem with it as long as they still do correct investigations. Right. As yeah. long as it's not a politically slanted investigation to try right. to aid one way or the other
0: yeah so i you know again i, I just think that it's a public one mm-hmm. and and that doesn't seem to be the case it doesn't seem to be the case mm-hmm. in all these other cases that are going on around the country but but i don't want to go on with that so so give us some of your opinions about the law and, and fire away oh all right um did you talk with Ali about what qualified immunity is um a little bit. He, uh, well, yeah, but he, he did go over it, but why don't you go over it again? So, right. Because that is, that is a
1: difficult question. It's, it's not in the bill. I didn't think it bill. was. I didn't think it was. The, <laughs> there was a draft of this bill um, that was from February. I sent you a copy of the draft. Okay. It was very, very different than the bill that was passed mm-hmm. um, last Thursday. Um, actually, because it was Friday by the time they got around to casting uh, passing it. My reactions on, to people on Facebook and letters I wrote to both my state representative and my state senator um, dealt with the draft. And I think the draft would have been horrible for law enforcement. I, I think in the municipalities, it would have been brutal. Uh, however, what they actually passed was very different. Uh, there's a lot of talk about qualified immunity. And as an attorney that represents police officers, I deal with qualified immunity all the time. Um, It's important to know what it is and what it isn't. Qualified immunity is in a civil case, not a criminal case, a civil case, and it's for a constitutional violation. It doesn't apply to any kind of state action for wrongful death. It doesn't apply to an action for assault and battery. Those causes of action, those suits, continue on those bases in state court, even if qualified immunity is granted on the federal claims. What it does do is it eliminates the possibility of attorney fees for the plaintiff's counsel. Right? So so here we have, if you're fighting one of these cases on an assault and battery, the attorney's probably going to get a contingency of one-third of the award, Mm -hmm. just like a car accident. Right. Um, As opposed to getting a $10,000 judgment for some excessive force, obviously not a fatal case, but some low amount of excessive force. And then they would get $50,000 $50,000 or 100000 in attorney fees on top of that in federal court. So first of all, that's all that does. If, some, if an officer assaults someone, they're not going to get qualified immunity, first of all. Um, the right to be free from excessive force is pretty darn clear. Um, what qualified immunity says, and I want to get the words just right here, that the court has to look to see if a constitutional right has been violated okay, that's the first part of the test so that means they have to look and see what the person is claiming and usually it's fourth amendment uh which is excessive force if we're talking about these cases um and i have seen uh, I've seen articles online that sit there and say the officers get qualified immunity because the prior case said you can't punch somebody with your right hand and the officer uses left hand. Yeah, I've heard silly stuff like that. That's wrong. That's just bad reporting or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, the courts are pretty clear about excessive force with qualified immunity. Um, the other thing, the part that gives them a little more trouble is the saying that You can only have violation of the Constitution if the right was clearly established at the time of the alleged incident. So that's the situation. I'm going to give you a Connecticut history a little bit. Um, I don't know if this affected you or if it came a little bit after you. When I started in 1986, if you towed a car to the police station, you could search it at the police station without a warrant Mm -hmm. because under the federal law, there was no expectation of privacy once that car was in the impound yard. In the early 90s, there was a Connecticut Supreme Court case, and they said under the Connecticut Constitution, the you have to have a search warrant, even though it's at an impound yard at the police station. The, the federal law, we, we have more protections. So what qualified immunity would do at a state level, which we don't really have it at a state level, but what qualified immunity in that situation would say that in 1991, two years before this case came out, When the officer searched this car, their right to uh, not have the search without a search warrant was not clearly established. So the officer doesn't have liability. And the vast majority of qualified immunity cases have nothing to do with excessive force. Um, I went personally, I looked for the past 18 months back to January 1st, 2019. And I looked at Connecticut District Court cases. That's the federal court here in Connecticut and appellate court cases that dealt with Connecticut cases. So I limited myself to Connecticut for 18 months and I looked up the phrase qualified immunity and I found 205 cases that mentioned it. However, only 94 of them had some ruling that included qualified immunity. Of those, only eight cases involved a claim of excessive force. And of those eight, only three were dismissed based on qualified immunity. The vast majority of the qualified immunity cases were brought by prisoners in correction institutions that were bringing their cases without a lawyer, pro se. (laughs) Obviously. That's (laughs) that's the vast majority of these cases. And now the three cases where they allowed it... um, in one of them and i'm taking these facts as the court saw them um can't talk too much about this one because our firm handled this that was elliot's case but uh without naming the people this the facts were a mentally disturbed person came out with a knife Uh, the officer was out of his cruiser and the person was coming after the officer you know backing the officer around the cruiser. The officer had his gun out, yelling at him to drop the knife, drop the knife. He didn't. The officer shot him and he was killed. There's no dispute about the facts. Um, that case, the excess of force was dismissed on qualified immunity. It's still continuing on um, the training issue, whether the officers in that town got a sufficient training for mentally disturbed people, um, but it, it wasn't like a close call where, where uh, it, it was in dispute another one uh there was a shoplifter who told the security officer at the store that he was going to shoot him but he didn't display a gun so the officer found him um started trying to arrest him he starts scuffling with the officer the officer hit the button that he has that remotely releases the can the police canine so the police canine runs up and bites the guy's arm the gentleman walks away with the dog on his arm and goes up some stairs behind the house and he's choking the dog and the officer tases him with with no effect. Um, Then some other officers get there and they get him into custody and he claimed that the use of the dog and the taser was excessive force. And the court said, we're going to decide this on qualified immunity and say that the officer, no reasonable officer would believe that the use of force used here was excessive. Again, there was no question about the facts. The facts were clear. Um, so, and so those are the types of cases that I found in the past 18 months that are dismissed on qualified immunity. A lot of the cases the court says, well, we don't know what the facts are at this point. Uh, we need a trial so the jury can determine what the facts really are, and then we can decide the qualified immunity aspects of it.
0: So those other cases that you mentioned, those <clears throat> did not go to court because it, because the justices just read the, the facts of the trial and said, no, a qualified immunity applies here. There's no need to go forward. Is that right?
1: It's, it's when the facts are not in dispute. Okay. And we're seeing this a lot more, too, with uh, body cams, even though they're not universally used in Connecticut yet, of course. A lot of times there's video of what happened and there really isn't a question about the facts or sufficient facts for the judge to make the determination on whether qualified immunity should apply or not. Okay, But it is not a situation where an officer can just beat someone up, commit an ass- a criminal assault, and then go to court and yell qualified immunity and get off scot-free. That, that doesn't happen here. And I would love to know actual cases that are people feel are a misuse of qualified immunity so I could research them. Um, but in my research, which I admit is limited, um, I haven't found them.
0: Okay. So 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 that's qualified immunity. So what else in the law or in the proposed bill that we, I, I assume we think it's going to be passed, right, today? Or
1: I'm sorry? assuming the Senate will pass this.
0: Okay. so So what in there is going to be problematic going forward for law enforcement?
1: All right. Well, there's some things that are just not well defined. For instance, you can lose your police officer certification if post, which is POST is a police officer standard and training council. They're the state agency that oversees police training, and they're increasingly given more of an oversight ability where they can decertify a police officer if they feel that actions that uh, the officer has taken are inappropriate. So you have two levels of discipline is what we're going to. We're going to the discipline that might be at the department level, and then there's a state level that's going to independent of what the department may feel. So even if the department feels, okay, this person should be suspended for two weeks based on his activity, post can sit there and say, oh, no, we think it's more egregious. He can never be a cop again. Wow. Um, Wow. So one of the things that they can decertify an officer is if the officer is engaged in conduct that undermines public confidence in law enforcement. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. What standard is there? Mm. Um, later on, it says that the post may develop an issue written guidelines as to what this might or might not be. So, and it also includes off-duty conduct. So say you have a non-physically fit police officer that is at the donut shop, and his shirt is unbuttoned part of the way, and his, his, I don't have a huge gut, but I have a gut, but it's hanging out, <laughs> and there's a stain on his tie. Somebody looks at that officer, and and this is an extreme case, of course, but it looks and says, oh, God, cops in this town. Okay, so is he reducing public confidence in law enforcement? I think that standard is so broad that nobody can know what it means, and no officer out there can understand exactly what they can and can't do. Does it mean that an officer has to give up freedom of speech? Because a police officer off-duty can have viewpoints that people don't like. He's allowed to, as long as he doesn't allow that to interfere with his official duties and he tre- treats people correctly when he's working. And I'm sure that you knew some officers that personally were, you were like, I would never go for a beer with this guy. Right. But on the job, they were okay. Right. right. So w- where does that come? And uh, so I have a problem with that. I think that it's too broad-based and it's too open.
0: Now, would Post, and just probably would sure. come come later on, would Post... Uh, do their own investigation or does any investigation that happens at the police department have to be forwarded to post so for them to review
1: it doesn't have to be okay um one thing that as an attorney we we do some employment work for police officers too so i've been in some cases where officers um I, I, i won't mention names but this particular officer had been fired by his department we went to arbitration um It was a very interesting arbitration (laughs) and he got his job back from the arbitrator. Okay. Now it's still in litigation. However, when it's all over, Post could sit there and say, oh, well, we feel that the officer's conduct uh, is such that we're going to decertify him. So he can win in his contract. He can win through the arbitrator, who is a neutral person, who was approved by both the union and the department. Okay. So he can win all that and still have another hurdle that uh that they could face where they could take away a certification to be a police officer right so i think that as long as the process is fair in the arbitration and nobody's saying that Board of uh labor arbitrations are unfair that 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 is what everybody's bargaining to that's what the contract calls for and, and that's what it should be mm. um However, we do have this dual thing, and and Post can already take away certification. our instances, I believe there's 60 people who are on the list. If you go to the Post website, I believe there's 60 former officers who've been decertified and can't work as a police officer in Connecticut. I'm going to be honest, I didn't know there was a list. (laughs) It's a public list. Okay. I did not know that. You can click on it. (laughs) Okay. And I actually believe there were some former Waterbury officers on there. I'm going to look. (laughs) Um, so, so that's the first thing. Um, there's a lot of stuff I don't really have a problem with. The, the fact that they're going to develop, or they're supposed to look at developing at least a uniform statewide policy for managing crowds by police officers. I think that's totally appropriate. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of sections that I, in my notes here, I just have what they were because it's like, okay. Yeah. Um, we can just hit the big stuff. I mean, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm doing here. They have more training, they want training on an implicit bias training, and that's not wrong in of itself, but again, on the POST website, they have posted the curriculum for the current academy classes and all the different subject matters that they teach and how many hours they teach. It's incredible. It's right. worse than we went. There are so many different things that they're trying to teach police officers in the course of the academy. And there's no way that an officer well, can retain it.
0: Well, let, let's, I actually, uh, let, let's talk about that for a second sure. here. So I actually think that police departments have to go one and two direct different directions. Either it's more training as mm-hmm. as this post is going, longer training, right? Stop trying to jam it in seven or eight months or whatever mm-hmm. the academy length is now. Um, I actually think that if you're going to go that route with more training, they, got it, they should make it a... Uh, two-year associate's degree program. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get all this stuff in, have tests. In that time, you you can complete your FTO program. Uh, you can visit homeless shelters. You can visit uh, boys clubs and, and get the public to know the community, right? Mm-hmm. Make it a, a good, sincere program where we integrate the public with the, with, with the police department, right? So that's I think that's one way to go. Or drastically reduce the responsibilities of a police officer, right? Um, mm-hmm. Stop responding to homeless people in the park. And stop responding to, uh, or you know, send social workers. Mm-hmm. I know that's part of the bill. They send social workers and different things. So, what are your thoughts about that? Either gre- greatly more training, <laughs> which would, would also include more training as far as um, de-escalation, uh, even use of force. Right, mm-hmm. officers out of know how to fight, <laughs> you know, and defend yeah. themselves or t- take persons into custody, or drastically reduce. What, what are your thoughts about okay. that?
1: A couple different things. Hopefully, I'll remember them all. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with you, um, but I'm going to add a question. So we spend two years of these people training and getting ready to be police officers. Who pays for it?
0: That's a good question. I mean, it's really a good question. I'm hoping it's my thought process. And listen, I'm kind of throwing this out there, but it's my thought process that while you're you're paying for these persons, um, that... It would make up on the on the back end as far as less lawsuits, right? Instead of instead of less lawsuits. Now this all yeah. has to be worked out. I yeah. mean, I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm saying that these these are some of the problems. These are some of the problems that law enforcement has having, mm-hmm. right? You're trying to, as we just mentioned, you're trying to jam all the stuff in. I mean, I taught mm-hmm. implicit bias. I think it was a four-hour, eight-hour course or whatever it was. I know these people aren't gonna remember that. I I know it, I'm gonna teach it, but I know that they're not gonna remember that. These guys are coming in, as a 28 year old guy, he's been sitting at his, uh, or hers, uh, or zers, whatever you know. I'm losing viewers. So, so they're, so they're so they're sitting at their at their grandmother's knee, and they're they're listening to their parents, and all this kind of stuff. And their parents may be extremely bigoted, and all this kind of stuff. Am I in an eight-hour class going to undo that type of damage? And not only the implicit bias, but there's also uh, cultural diversity and sensitivity classes. So it's eight hours of implicit bias, another four hours of cultural mm-hmm. diversity, twelve hour twelve hours out of your life in mm-hmm. in a six month period is, is going to undo that type of damage? No. <laughs> it,
1: it, that, that's a state legislator saying, oh, I've mandated this training. I've taken care of the problem. Right. Right. And it doesn't. Right. right, um, right. I actually, you know, I hadn't thought about something like that. My initial impression, though, is a, a course like that where you're changing police work to really a community service profession um, and you, you start out with that idea. Um, I like it. I don't know. If you're going to get candidates, assuming we can figure out the financial part, um, who's going to go in for a two-year training course? I, I know,
0: I know, I know what I'm saying is difficult. Yeah. I understand that, yeah. but we are asking something of, and I would think you would agree, we're asking some impossibilities for our police oh, yes. officers today. Absolutely, we, we want them to go in there and deal with domestics, and and they got to call people now. Mm-hmm. You probably left before that day. They, they got to call a hotline before they go, and they got to, I mean, people no, are didn't calling. They have to call a hotline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had to call. When I left, they had to call a hotline. And, and make the woman or a man get on the phone and sit and say I don't it was just it was just it was just crazy <laughs> right we have people calling 911 because their kids won't get out of the bed in the morning to go to the bus stop i mean and we're and we're sending police officers to these kinds of calls and right. we shouldn't be and now when people are mentally disturbed or mm-hmm. homeless or these, these military vets are coming back and dealing with PTSD and they're feeling suicidal. Granted, if there's no guns or anything like that, we got to stop sending police officers who right. are who are trying to, who, who are trained to to be that hammer and everything is a nail. Yep, and and, and it's too much. But yep. go, go, I
1: don't want to. I agree <laughs> with that. We're, we're jumping around a little bit, but yeah. to talk about the that aspect of it, and we'll, we'll come back to um, to this, the social worker and other mental health professionals. I think that's a great idea. Mm. Um, I think that as a police officer. If it was a non-violent situation and I could hand it off to the mental health officer or mental health service person, whatever title you want to come up with, and then later when it went to hell, I would love to say, Captain, I don't know, the mental health officer took the call. (laughs) Not me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, A police officer cannot be expected to offer mental health counseling. Mm. Um, The most that we could ask our police officers to do is be a gatekeeper and then we have to give them resources that they can handle the problem off to. For instance, we used to have, I I was a a communication supervisor for years, and we used to have a little old lady, very sweet, that would call at least three times a week and say that people were putting sleeping gas in her windows. And she knew it because she had been watching TV and she fell asleep and now it was three o'clock in the morning and she woke (laughs) up and she knows she would not fall asleep. It must be people putting sleeping gas through her windows. And she would call literally a couple times a week and sometimes we sent an officer out on a welfare check and you know we were able to determine over the course of of several interactions that she was i think she was in her 80s she was living alone she had no family um she was by herself in in this house you know that that she had lived in and social services have been out and she was not a danger to herself she was able to take care of her basic needs and but for Years, I think we, we would send an officer up to her call on third shift every so often to make sure she was okay. Uh, Another person I remember used to call in, he knew he had hallucinations, but he would call and say, There's people in my bedroom. And you know, I'm talking to him, and, and the problem is that there was actually a time or two when there were people in his bedroom and they were not hallucinations. So you have this person that would call. And you would have to determine, and I don't know if it was right or wrong, it's passed the statute of limitations, so I can talk about it, but I would say, can you touch them? And he'd sit there and say, oh, I can't touch them, so they, they must not be real. And I'd talk with him, because I was a supervisor, I could take a little bit of time to do some of these things. Um, and I'd talk to him, and, and you'd make the judgment call, You're gonna, you have no officers, it's busy if you send somebody there you're going to be pulling them off another call or, or you're going to be delaying another call you had to make a judgment call this and this would be a perfect situation where if you had a social worker that could talk to this guy on the phone take it off the police department it's not a need for police action unless there are really people in his room that shouldn't be there uh, but uh, it, it would definitely help oh. the biggest problem i see with that is so many of police mental health calls do involve a situation of either danger to the person that's going out to investigate um, the situation or an allegation that it's not just mental health it's criminal action that may be a result of the mental health but it's still a criminal action and we have to decide as a society are we just going to ignore that part or do we still ne- need to send the police out to deal with that part of the issue yeah yeah. And the same thing with domestic violence. If there's domestic violence, by definition, there's a mandatory arrest situation. Right. So how can you send a non-police person out to a domestic violence situation? Right,
0: right. Uh, none, none of this is easy. None of this is easy, and I, I admit that.
1: Uh, but I, I do agree that we need to shift the police to a gatekeeper function, where they sit there and say, this is not really a police matter, and they have to have the resources that are going to be able to deal with the situation on a non-police basis and then let the cops leave and and go do something else that requires police officers. Absolutely.
0: What else you got from the bill Ah, that's going to... All
1: right. (laughs) Um, We were talking about the training. Um, There's some requirements for release of complaints against police, but it's state police only. It's... I, I don't... I'm not, I don't work with state police too much. They have are represented by the attorney general's office. Um, there's sections on reports and minority recruiting. I think that's great. There's one thing that I don't understand at all. They want the, uh, the commission right now that's looking at police and reforms to look and establish primary and secondary traffic violations. And then police are only supposed to pull people over for primary Violations, and, and I have no idea what that means. Yeah, I don't know what that means either. And does that mean like we're not? The police are not supposed to stop somebody that has a broken taillight. Is that what they're? People are interpreting it that way. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe it's if you have an expired emission sticker, you're not supposed to get pulled over and get a ticket for it. That, uh,
0: so I did a I did a, the podcast, and I think you listened to it, uh, where I where I mentioned. Um, Officers, uh, if everything is is legit in the car, right, license, registration, insurance, all that is good, mm-hmm. and then the officer would say, "Okay, well, you know, before I let you go, can you, uh, can I search your vehicle?" You know, consent vol- search. Voluntary right. consents. What's, yep. what's your ideas about that? Thoughts about that?
1: <sighs> I don't know. Um, I mean, if somebody says you can search, you can search. That's that's the the baseline we have right now. They're free to say no. Do people not feel comfortable saying no? There's all sorts of YouTube videos out there now that tell people how to act in a police stop. And if they ask to search your car, say, no, I don't want you to search my car, thank you. Um, so I don't think that uh, it, it's not that it's unknown that you can say no. I, I think that people realize you can say no. Mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously a issue that's being perceived, and I'm not sure I understand the issue entirely. Um,
0: yeah, well, I think I think it has to do with yeah the intimidation factor of an officer, yeah. and are they asking more more of it of more minority persons? I think yeah. that that's probably the two issues. Can I say no?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Of course, we know that you can, but do I feel comfortable enough to right. say no? Is there an intimidation factor, or how the officer phrasing it and all that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. And of course, are you are they asking? Is the officer asking it more of minority officers in comparison to? Yeah
1: now i saw a statistic and again statistics are what you make of them yeah. but something that said that on consent searches police officers find evidence of a crime 20 percent of the time yeah yeah if that's true is that a tool we want to take away from police officers now what i don't know if the crime is is it a joint i mean to be mm. honest who cares <laughs> um or is it a gun right, right. and so what percentage there's a value decision okay if, if a certain percentage of consent searches end up in removing a dangerous person or a weapon or a gun you know something important like that where do you draw the line do you allow consent searches even though they might be an intimidation factor in it if are they worthwhile overall and, and like I said I, I don't have enough information to make a, a judgment call I understand so I think in that's what I think. Some of these things. This thing was passed on an emergency basis, right? And then they turn around and say some sections aren't going to take effect till July twenty twenty one, in a year. If it's an emergency, then why are they waiting? And if they can wait, why not do a little more work and and try to find out?
0: Yeah, and it's it's this whole appeasing the population kind of thing now. Which is any other big items in there?
1: Um. Doo-doo-doo the there's a mental health screening that's supposed to take place every five years of police officers in and of itself you know you're out there they're giving you a gun they get to check out your head and in my mind however it's left to post i believe to develop regulations as to how you pick the person um, when a police chief can ask for less than five years the good faith Um, there's a lot that's not here that means you can't really evaluate it are they going to? Uh, it has to be a board certified psychiatrist, which is a pretty good level, or a psychologist, mm. which there's a lot of psychologists around uh, with a experience in post uh, traumatic stress disorder. All right, well. That could be a lot of people, and you don't necessarily want the guy that says, yeah, I'll do your exams for 50 bucks a piece, because I don't have any business, and so the town says, okay, everybody go into him. Right, right, right. Um, Because I'm assuming the towns are going to have to pay for these things. I'm assuming, yeah. (laughs) Um, Social workers, we talked about. Consent searches, we just talked about. You know, the other thing, too, is There's still a lot of ways that cars get searched. If there's probable cause, you don't need consent. A lot of times, officers ask for consent, even though they have probable cause. Because when when I did a lot of police training, as you may recall, Um, when I was in the police department, I did up to 16 hours out of the 80 hours every three years. Uh, Let's back up a second. We're talking about, we were talking about training, and what I have said, and one of the points I wanted to make is, We need to look at whether police officers should have more frequent self-defense training. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You can't give a guy or a girl um, 10 hours of self-defense training every three years and expect them to have that as a skill set. If you have someone who's smaller in stature especially i mean i've seen it is not supposed to be sexist but i've seen (laughs) female police officers that are five foot two and a hundred pounds and they're going and going up against people that are my height you know six two six three two hundred pounds and that puts them at a great disadvantage they need a skill set that they can use right and even a regular officer if they are more confident in their ability to control a suspect then I think that it will cut down on instances where they end up going to the gun. Yeah, um,
0: I absolutely. I 10,000% agree with you. Uh, there was a military, there was, uh, another podcast, uh, Joe Rogan. He talked uh, with this former Navy SEAL. I think his name is Jocko Willing, something like that, mm-hmm. Navy SEAL. And he said that police officers don't get enough training. Yep. Um, you know, in the military, they're training, you know, whatever they're training. Mm-hmm. And so he said the same thing. You work five days out the week, that that fifth day, mm-hmm. or it could be the first day back or whatever, should be yep. a day that's dedicated towards training. Yeah. Get get three, three or four hours of, of, uh, of the defensive tactics. Mm-hmm. Take the rest of the day as a decompression day. Go talk to your psychologist then, especially yep. if you've had traumatic incidents. Yep. And that's one week. The next week we can go over medical stuff, right? So yep. that fifth day, should be about it's uh, just a, a train i thought that was actually a fantastic mm-hmm. uh, a suggestion that way you know you're only really working 4 days a week <laughs> you you have a day that's dedicated to defensive tactics or to mm-hmm. brushing up on your on your CPR skills i know when, as a lieutenant um, you know, we, we had the the, uh, the nasal cannulas. I, I can re- never remember how to use it. Right? How many liters am I supposed to? Be? Because I couldn't. Think re- on. But yeah, because every three years we're getting the string. Yeah. But and as a lieutenant, my sk- I, I don't use that stuff every day.
1: As, <laughs> as I recall, they didn't even put a, a stupid sticker on the damn thing right. that said "open to two exactly. liters per minute," whatever. Yeah, whatever yeah. I so I couldn't. I couldn't remember yeah. that. No, I, I agree. <laughs> uh, I come back to the same part though being. Yeah. fiscally conservative. <laughs> Where's <laughs> the money coming Who's from? How much is it going to cost? Because yeah. 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 it's going to... Now, if you can shift some of the jobs from the police department to other services, you're going to have an increase in costs and services. Um, but maybe... Uh, you, you get enough where you can take people off for at least a couple hours yeah. a week, yeah. and,
0: and even if maybe, yeah, if you've worked half half that day, mm-hmm. and the other four hours are dedicated to something else. So I, I, I definitely agree. More training, and I agree with you about the mm-hmm. about the you know the smaller female, even guy officers and stuff. Yeah. A lot of these guys, a lot of guys too, have that Napoleon complex, right? They're they're seriously they're they're, they're five five or five three, and, and they just want to go tackle everyone to show that they're just as tough yeah, as a yeah. six three guy, and they're getting it into mm-hmm. many. Uh, scraps and, and that are unnecessary too because they don't know how the yeah. verbal skills and ability to know mm-hmm. how to talk to people because they yep. don't prove they're big tough guys like, yeah I tell people you're, you're already tough don't. you're already
1: a cop <laughs> relax <laughs> I, I would be lying if I said I never saw that happen right <laughs> um, right absolutely but back motor vehicle searches like I said a lot of officers ask for consent when they actually have probable costs And the people say, yeah, go ahead and search. Because Mm. they think if they say no, the cop's going to search anyway. And they're right, because the cop has the probable cause, and that's all he needs. Additionally, if a car is being towed, an officer can search the entire car without probable cause. It's an administrative search. Um, What I did not know is that all
0: towns did not do that. CCSU did that study, and they said major culprits of, (laughs) of, uh, of, of searching, having more searches... In comparison to people and of course the areas that we targeted so we had to explain to them we target these areas mm-hmm. because uh, of the criminal activity the robberies right. the shootings and stuff and so therefore when we get there it's part of our administrative policies mm-hmm. and procedures to to search a car once we're going to tow it and mm-hmm. take possession of it so therefore that boosted up our number of searches
1: right that's so, not technically that's, wait, that's not a, race. a search Um, Well, uh, for for their probable cause, for them it was. But really, when you look at the law, and this is one of the areas I used to teach, uh, a tow incident to uh, excuse me, a search incident to towing is to safeguard both the property of the vehicle owner. It's to uh, ensure there are no false claims against the tow company of missing property, and it's to ensure that there are no dangerous objects that are going to the tow company. Right. So it it doesn't have to do with anything but the fact that the car is being towed legally. Uh, to the tow service that's all you need mm. um, so that that's not going to make a change mm. the also the other thing is um frisks of motor vehicle where it's based on reasonable suspicion not probable cause but it's reasonable suspicion that there may be a weapon in the vehicle there is case law that says if you are going to let somebody get back into their car but you have a reasonable suspicion that they might have access to a weapon in that car that you can check for that weapon so there's a lot of things that can still happen even with this no-consent search. I do like they say uh, you can search if you get an unsolicited consent to search. In your police career, did anybody ever volunteer? Go <laughs> ahead and hey, search, Hey, officer, I, I, please. I, I, you know,
0: I got nothing to do for the next 10 minutes. Why don't you go ahead and search my car? That never happened. If the,
1: pers- <laughs> if the person who put that language in the bill watches this, they're going to hate me. <laughs> um. Again, there's something about searching people with a search warrant. I got to be honest, I didn't I wasn't involved in very many search warrants in Waterbury that was typically done by advice or the detectives, and Mm -hmm. so I was not involved in the execution of search warrants very often.
0: So let's talk about the big stuff here that people want. Um, All uh, 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 Alright. The the, um,
1: chokeholds. Chokeholds. You know, they're still allowed if the officer is in fear of his life. Um, And I don't my personal problem—I I don't have a personal problem with it. Um, Chokeholds. My understanding is they can be—it's it, a it's no misnomer to say chokehold. It should be carotid uh, restraint, whatever it is. And right. you actually, if it's done right, you shut off the blood to the brain, right. and the person goes unconscious. And if it's done correctly, my understanding is there's virtually no chance of permanent harm. However, again, we've talked about the fact that cops get training every three years and, right. and the idea that it can be done at night in the rain, in the cold with a struggling opponent who is not a martial arts otis, artist also. Um, if the person is going to use deadly force, you can choke them. Okay, I can I can deal with that. I want to back up a little bit because this is actually um, something that could be problematic. And it talks about the changes to the uh, statute that says when deadly force can be used. Okay. Um, And in Connecticut, that's by statute. If you meet the qualifications, um, you are not guilty of a crime for having used deadly force. And it has to do mainly with protecting yourself from the imminent use of uh, deadly force upon yourself. Um, The whole statute just needs to be rewritten and made more understandable the way they have it set up. But um, they talk about that the actions have to be objectively reasonable under the circumstances. That's already the law. Um, that's what the state and uh, Supreme Courts say that an officer can talk about whether it's reasonable.
0: You, you know, the, the, not to throw you off here, but you know that California changed from objectively reasonable to necessary, right? So they have to look at, did you, did you know that? that they I did change, not. I not. Yeah. So they like changed that. their standard to necessary. Uh, so. It, it, what that means, you know, people are going to, you know, obviously argue about that in court. But what I understand is, is that um, before an officer takes out his gun to shoot someone, mm-hmm. they're going to look at everything you did before taking that last action. Oh um, yeah. Did that, you try to de-escalate? Did you try to?
1: California has always had that mindset. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, the Federal Circuit Court of Appeals, um, has tried to write in the idea that that an officer can increase the danger and that should be part of the calculus and supreme court just told them, no you're, that's not part of the calculus yeah. um the problem i have with that is who determines what the officer did with, if an officer is rude and it makes the guy enraged is that mean that okay the officer is rude the guy's going to shoot him the officer gets shot You can't use deadly force there's there again that you go into the gray areas and how is an officer ahead of time supposed to know what is and what isn't acceptable. Connecticut's law talks about the imminent use of deadly force against the officer. So it has to be something that's right there. It's not like he says, oh, in two minutes, he might go inside and get a gun and shoot me. It has to be happening. So that is what creates some problems in this. Uh, This is where you have the language where the officer has to exhaust reasonable alternatives to the use of deadly force. Okay, If the deadly force is imminent, how can you use other alternatives? Because <laughs> by the time you've tried the other alternative and it's failed, the deadly force has been used against the officer. There's, it's problematic, and I'm not saying that some of these problems couldn't be fixed. But here again, we have a bill that came out with virtually no ability to look at it, passed, you know, argued overnight and passed in the early morning hours. Um, there's another section where one of the things to look at is if the officer reasonably believes that the force employed creates no substantial risk to injury to a third party. This doesn't make sense to me. That makes sense, but it doesn't make sense how they use it. Because what they're saying is, as a lawyer, when I look at this law, I sit there and say, so if the officer doesn't reasonably believe that a third person could not be hurt, that means that the use of deadly force against this person was not justified. Shouldn't it actually be that that person has some right of action if they are hurt or almost hurt by an officer using deadly force? Why why should that be a calculation with the deadly force use against this person? It, it, it doesn't seem to make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And even today, if an officer is using deadly force and he accidentally shoots somebody else, that could be negligence. That, that, that already exists in our our legal system, um, so that's problematic to me. Um, What's but, up? Uh, no knock warrants. What's your
0: thoughts about that? I mean, that's that's in there too, right?
1: Oh, no knock warrants. There are, I think, there are situations where they're appropriate. If you're going in to arrest a felon that has used a automatic rifle to shoot somebody. And he's known to have automatic weapons in his house i don't think you can make the police sit there and knock on his door for 30 seconds it makes no sense Mm. however my understanding of the process uh, is that a judge issues no knock warrants so if you have reasonable facts and i can be honest i'm not sure if it's i think that it just eliminates them i'm I'm, maybe i'm not as well versed on that part of the bill as i should be but there are situations where a no-knock warrant is appropriate and reasonable. I
0: think it restricts them and, and says that you have to be, they have to be sure a part of the process is making sure that the person is not in custody. Is actually there doing something? Ver- okay. Some doing some verifications. Right. I don't think it's a complete elimination, right. but I think that that's it. Just wants to kind of tighten it up. And I agree with you, right? Yeah. If you're looking for someone who just robbed the bank with the <laughs> with an AK forty-seven, I mean, we're not going to stand out there with roses and say please and thank you. We're going to go get this guy.
1: <laughs> the the other section, the requirement for an officer to intervene when they hmm. see something that is. Uh, excessive use of force by another officer and Mm -hmm. to report it, right? Well, they use the phrase, when the witnessing officer objectively knows, okay, when you look up the phrase objectively knows, it's not defined anywhere, it's not used in case law, it's not in statutes. Objective, in my mind, means that it's based on not somebody's beliefs, but the facts surrounding the, circum- the, the circumstance and what a reasonable person would believe based on those facts. The other side of that believes, that's very subjective. People can believe things that are totally incorrect. I have a problem because I don't think that that's defined and I don't think, again, it, it puts officers on notice of what we're talking about. How? What does objectively know? What, what does that mean? Um, the second thing is the... Um, the failure to report excessive force is hindering prosecution, which, depending on the circumstances, either a Class C or a Class D felony. So if an officer sees another officer slap someone excessively, that's a misdemeanor. And we're going to make the failure to report that misdemeanor a felony. I, I see that as problematic. Um, And the other problem is just the duty to intervene. So you have Officer Smith that's talking to a suspect, and all of a sudden he just starts punching him out of the blue with no warning. He just starts pounding on him. And we have Officer Jones there, and he says, Oh my God, under the law, I'm required to intervene in this because they were just talking, there was nothing going on. So he jumps on Officer Smith, and it turns out that Officer Smith saw that the guy had a knife in his hand and was trying to subdue him without using deadly force um, and avoiding an injury so you think it
0: should be more isolated to maybe somebody in handcuffs they should uh um or or just kind of tighten up the language
1: yeah the, the problem is i don't know how you draft this effectively to eliminate that possibility because it creates situations where an officer says, well, I'm not going to be charged with a felony, so I'm going to take action, and then it turns out the action is wrong, and maybe the guy with the knife ends up stabbing both the officers. Hmm. I can see that scenario, and I think that it's short-sighted to write it this way. Now, maybe if they can redraft it, um, obviously, if somebody's in handcuffs, that's a much easier situation. And it's not to say that somebody in handcuffs can't have a knife in the back of their pants and pull out a knife, and be dangerous just because the fact that they're handcuffed is not the determinative factor I think that saying that an officer has to make a decision based on this I mean yeah if the guy's unconscious on the floor and not you know he's not resisting then that gets to be to the point where you can sit there and say okay that's an easy call but where do you draw the line how do you differentiate between a case on one side and a case on the other yeah I got
0: you I got you Uh, I don't want to hold you too long here how wanna wrap this up here with anything other other.
1: Yeah, large the um <clears throat> talked about that. The who cares about security guards? Um <laughs> So oh, a whole, what? Se- whole section on people that are decertified as police officers can't be security guards. Um, yeah, that was, that was
0: kind of long, too, right? I mean, we, yeah, I, cut, all I cut
1: it out of my notes. Yeah. And I don't care for the last part about corrections officers, because I don't deal with corrections. And they kind of, I think they added that in at midnight, and, and I think that surprised everybody. But we haven't talked about Section 41 yet, okay? which is the civil uh, cause of action okay. against police officers under um, state law. Now, the way that it's written, I'm going to read this. It says, no police officer acting alone or in conspiracy with another shall deprive any person or class of persons of the equal protection of the laws of this state or of the equal privileges and immunities under the laws of this state, including without limitation, the protections, privileges, and immunities guaranteed under Article I of the Constitution of the state. As an attorney, when I read that, first of all, the the, Article 1 of the state constitution is where all the search and seizure, freedom of speech, uh, freedom from exercise of force, that, that's all in there. So that's what we're talking about. Um, however, they say the equal protection of the laws of the state. And under the federal law, if you're talking about an equal protection claim, that is when you treat one person different than another, normally based on some type of bias. So that would be where a black person is treated differently because they're black and this person doesn't like black people but that's an element of the the cause of action so i don't know if they mean that in order for a police officer to be liable under this they have to have the element of bias against a class or protected group based on you know race gender sexual identity all these different things um, are protected in connecticut and um I mean, I looked at the federal law and the law says there has to be some type of bias or protected class. I don't think that's what they intended to do. Um, The other problem with it is, if they are worried about excessive force and virtually everything they talked about that I saw in the debate um, had to do with either deadly force or excessive force. none of it had to do with qualified immunity none of the cases they are talking about were decided on qualified immunity um some of them were one one representative talked about some pursuit cases which a police pursuit is not a constitutional issue that's a negligence issue under state law um, so i'm not sure what they're trying to prevent here i don't know if it's very effective but what we're going to have is If it stays like this, they have a year to play with it. If it stays like this, the courts are going to have to decide after the fact what this actually means. So again, officers, if we're going to tell them this is to prevent these things from happening, but the officers don't know what actually is required of them, how does it serve as a deterrent? Um, And then they talk about governmental immunity. They don't talk about qualified immunity. Governmental immunity, as near as I can tell from my research, having dealt with this area too, is a negligence immunity when an officer or any government official has to decide between different courses of action. They have to use judgment. Um, they don't get second-guessed. You can't sue them for negligence unless you have a uh, identifiable victim and uh, subject to imminent harm. Hmm. So. They're saying governmental immunity won't be a defense to this, but it looks like they're talking about an intentional act and they're talking about a negligent act, which negligence is when you know or should know that you shouldn't do it, but it's not, it's like going through a stop sign accidentally, that's negligence. Um, or a doctor who makes a mistake in surgery and violates the standard of care, that's considered negligence. Uh, in my mind, constitutional violations are intentional acts. Um,
0: yeah, so I think that that's, that's the biggest problem that people are having, right? Because obviously what this knucklehead did in Minneapolis was an intentional... Well, it's obvious to me, maybe to the public, whether it's obvious to a jury and to,
1: uh, t- to lawyers is <laughs> a different is a thing. You story. know, that case, I'm going to back up a second. Let's take away the knee on the neck. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's say that that didn't happen, that we had the same facts but without the knee on the neck. Instead, the person was holding down their shoulder or whatever. A police officer, if you have a prisoner that becomes unresponsive, you have an obligation to find out why and change from an arrest mode to possibly a rescue mode. Hmm. And, you know, putting, putting aside everything else, I think that there is a real problem there that this guy was dying and, and nobody did anything. And, I, I don't even know what to say about that. It's just, I don't know. Anybody. Everyone's at a
0: loss for words about that. <laughs> I, I, I mean. It's it's a really a tr- crazy, crazy s- yeah. scenario that we all witnessed. Yeah. That we I, all just, I think it's, it's, what the heck happened here?
1: I think it's very different from the Atlanta Wendy's situation, which right, I, right, I have right. a lot of problems with how that's been handled. I, I think you had a prosecuting attorney who basically held a press conference and put his whole case in front of the public and said here's why and you're talking about a criminal charge whether it's a cop or anybody else i don't think it's appropriate to take and pollute the jury pool which is what he did Mm. by putting all that information in front of everybody there's no i mean maybe you do it so you you can calm down public opinion or something but the the officer was arrested it's not like Mm. he was out running around so but that's, that's another case, um, and I'm sure that yeah. uh, it'll be taken apart. So,
0: so let's wrap this up. So the, 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 we're assuming the law gets passed, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, assuming the governor's going to sign it. Mm-hmm. What's next? I mean, we have to wait and see. People are going to challenge it, wait and
1: see until something happens. It doesn't take effect till July of 2021. Okay. So we got a year before it takes effect. Okay. My personal opinion is what you're going to see is a lot of cases based on illegal searches you're going to see it on illegal arrests you're going to see maybe some excessive force cases but i don't think that's going to be the majority of what you see i think you're going to see a situation where attorneys are looking and saying if i can prove that the officer was willful or wanton or reckless i can get my attorney fees So here's this person whose car was searched illegally without a warrant at the police station, is in violation, it was willful, and the person's going to get $1,000 from the jury, and I'm going to be able to get $30,000 or $40,000 in attorney fees. And I think what you're going to see... Attorneys testing the waters to see if they can make these work if they're viable cases and I think it's going to cause uh, personally a uh, bonanza for me if I defend <laughs> these cases. But I think you're gonna see a lot of costs, you know, they talk about judgments No, the judgments are one thing. It's the cost of defending these cases It's the cost of defending cases successfully where a town has to pay, you know, sometimes twenty 000, thirty thousand uh, dollars to defend a case with no judgment and getting rid of it at some point in the pleadings. It still could be that expensive to be right And I think you're gonna see a lot of these cases that are going to uh, You're gonna have the unintended consequence of causing these costs to all these towns and, and Like I said, it, not saying there's not a way to Get to the objectives that they want to get to I just don't think that this bill is a very good way to try it and uh, in, in certain aspects other parts of it like i said i have no problem with. It. but yeah. i think there's going to be a lot of unintended unintended consequences as lawyers play with this and try to see how they can twist it one way or the other i got you.
0: well thank you man i really really appreciate you coming on the show man i really appreciate you uh, taking the time to discuss this convoluted mess that we're trying that we're trying to deal with i think that the legislature's hearts are in the right place they're trying to do something trying to calm public um, dissent and uh, and try to, you know, I don't know, try to take back power from the police or try to put reins on them or what, what they're trying to do. I think, but the, I think that their hearts are in the right place. Right. But you know, I want them to do it right. Something mm-hmm. that's not going to, uh, you know, cause more problems, yeah. and especially and when it comes to the public dime. There, all of our yeah. taxes are going up because we've got to pay pay for these lawsuits. And and, and,
1: and I want to see the cases from either Connecticut or a nearby state, and I exclude New York City, because New York City is its own animal, yeah. <laughs> um, I want to see where concrete situations that they feel has happened that this law will prevent and why it would prevent it, and, and I don't think that evidence is out there.
0: Well, I agree with that, and, and I mean, again, your colleague said the same thing, but I think that we're looking around the country and seeing these issues and problems and saying Mm -hmm. we don't want them here let's write something in the law to make sure
1: that these things all happen and
0: i'm not sure that i disagree with that philosophy of
1: saying Mm -hmm. even cases from other states i'm willing to look at them right right Uh, right. but it has to be a case where you sit there and say if that state had this law Mm. it would have prevented that from happening or it would have at least allowed a the family or the person to have some sort of compensation for it happening. So,
0: so, so we'll, we'll end off on this point. So that's actually a good point. Is that you take a situation where uh, Tamir Rice, right, twelve year old kid, mm-hmm. uh, was 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 gunned down in Cleveland, right? The officer, I mean, tactically, what he did was horrible, right? You pull up, you get a call about some kid playing in the park or a, or a man playing in the park mm-hmm. with a gun. You pull up, you know, you don't park down the street. We started off this this talking about our situation that we had. We parked down the street. We, mm-hmm. we entered tactically, sneakily. We want to catch the guy, right? So, so this guy didn't do that in Cleveland. He gets out the car. Within two seconds of getting out the car, just starts blazing away at this 12-year-old kid and catching him. Again, what, what, the, what the dissent is, is that there was no accountability on the officer's part, right? They wanted him to go to jail or, I mean, he was ultimately fired, I believe, but he almost got another job in another place and this is what people want to change right what is the best way that you would recommend changing something like that or i know i know let's pick another case uh alton sterling um um, stefan clark philando castile what is the best way to change
1: that legally here's something that people are not going to want to hear okay (laughs) um policing The hiring, the training, the retention of police officers is not perfect. You are always going to have some horrible situations that occur because either you have a person who should not be a police officer, should not have been hired, should not have been given a gun to go out there, or you're going to have a decent person that just makes a horrible mistake. You cannot stop that from happening so there's always going to be an element of that and if you think that not not to be mean this is like generally if someone <laughs> if someone thinks that passing a law is going to prevent 100% of those incidences no it's not going to uh, we have the mental evaluation I, I mean most police departments have mental evaluations when they hire police officers they're screened i mean that's that's you talk to a psychiatrist who's honest and they'll say it's it's art it's not science right um, as long as you have police officers. I mean, anybody that carries firearms too, hunters that end up shooting another hunter instead of a deer, you know, just, you cannot get perfection. Um, You have to allow an officer to make a reasonable mistake, just like any place else. I mean, the problem is that police officers carry guns because we have situations like Sandy Hook We have situations uh like 9 11. we we have the potential for terrorists we have these things that can happen so we need a structure like police officers to try to keep us safe and then i'm sure you will not disagree that there are individuals in our society if there were no police they would just terrorize everyone they could (laughs) okay so (laughs) police officers may be a uh, uh I'm not coming up with the words I'm having a brain freeze here but uh, we can't just get rid of them we're going to need them and as long as we have them there will be occasional mistakes there will be people who should not be police officers that have no justification for what they did or whatever their mental process was who, who was the gentleman that uh, he was running I think it was Charleston South Carolina and the yeah Walter Scott yeah I mean you're going to have situations like that slag, where
0: slagger was the officer Slagger, Slagger.
1: all you can slager. do is hold those people accountable for their actions and i i don't know what a perfect solution is yeah
0: neither do i but i thank you for coming on the podcast i really appreciate it. a good friend of mine
1: dave yale attorney at law esquire all I, that good stuff. i hope stuff. i haven't offended somebody too bad here
0: no nah, <laughs> listen we, we, we want the truth and sometimes the truth is, is difficult and hard so I really appreciate you coming on and look forward to reaching out to you again. Right. And uh, I really, really appreciate it. Man. You know like where I am. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you.